Welcome to Weird Games and Weirder People, a podcast about role-playing games and the weird, wonderful people behind them. Hello, wonderful weirdos! This is Diogo Nogueira, and I have a very great guest for you today. I'm talking about Matt Finch, the creator of Osiric, Sword and Wizardry, Quick Primer for Old School Gaming, Tom of Adventure Design, and so many other things. But before we get to it, I'd like to remind you that if you do like to support the show, subscribe it uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a review, and if you have any coins left, check out our show notes to get the link to our Ko-Fi, where you can pay us a coffee, or buy one of my games that I use the money to pay the bills of the podcast, like subscriptions and apps and everything. And please share around with your friends, with other creators that would like to enjoy these talks. But let's get back to Matt Finch, who is for me, it's kind of the father of my OSR. And we talk about so many great things. We talk about the OSR, how we do not see it as something that uh, catered to nostalgia. We talk about how we see it as something that uh, prioritizes improvisation, open world, player agency. We talk about how the OSR feels for us a lot more fun for the GM, for the referee, because they kind of play and find out, find out things as with the players. We talk about his creative ritual, uh, how he has his baseball cap that kind of helps him get into the moods, write those stuff. How is he fascinated by ancient Greek mythology? He gets really into it to find inspiration for, for his game and his creations. We talk about his next project, uh, maybe a new Greek primer for old school game that's going to be revised. We talk about city books with encounters, talk about mental help, hypnosis, style, his style of writing and game design. was a really great chat, very insightful, and it's a little bit over one hour and a half, but for me it felt like short, and I feel like I had so many more things to ask uh, Matt Finch, and, and hopefully we will have him again in the show someday. So enjoy the chat and let's get weird with Matt Finch. Hello, Matt. Welcome to Weird Games and Weirder People. It's, it's such an honor to have you here. It's such a privilege. I'm a really big fan of your work and what you have done for the tabletop RPG scene. And, and how are you, my friend? Uh, how have you been in 2024? Uh, well, 2024 is uh, it's a rough year so far with Janelle Jaquez uh, yeah. passing away. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, everything's going all right. Um, uh, very pleased to be on the show. It's, it's. I think this is the first time we've ever talked to each other live, other than by, yeah. you know, for years and years we've talked through Facebook Messenger and, uh, you know, emails and so on. So it's kind of nice to actually, you know, see your face and talk to you in real time. Yeah, for sure. I've I've seen a bunch of your videos, like your your channel, and and I've learned so much from you. And and I I don't know how to express how how your work has been formative for. How I see, you know, adventure gaming. Even though uh, my recent games don't don't really adhere to, you know, traditional SR, you know, D and D kind of rule sets. The way you you thought how to make adventures, how you put how to play a game in old school style in quick primer. It's they are still how I try to design games, even though I don't make, you know games uh, with D&D engine or, or something like this, they're still yeah. like my frame of reference. And I, I I thank you so much for this. And it opened the way of gaming for me because uh, people always refer to old school game as something nostalgic. 
but I, I didn't live though that era you know i i briefly played D&D second AD&D second edition and then i was straight to D&D third edition and that's what i played you know for almost 10 years and then i discovered the OSR and, and you know it changes how I, I approach the, the the hobby and, and I'm so thankful for that. Well, I'm glad that you you know found some use in it. I don't I don't really think of the OSR as being nostalgic. I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, it probably is and there's probably a lot of things uh, about the way that it operates that's nostalgic even for me. But you know, really way back when I was um, writing swords and wizardry and writing the uh, the quick primer for old school gaming it wasn't really i wasn't focusing on the nostalgic side of it what i was really looking to try and do was just explain how um a game that was largely improvisational was played because people who were learning how to play at that time in the third edition era um were not were, were learning it the, the the writing of the game was intended to be as little improvisational as possible they wanted to have rules for how yeah. you did the things and it's two very very different styles of play whether it's you know the improvisational old school style or whether it's the uh the newer school style that tries to have a rule that captures everything um and uh you know so i don't i really don't see the osr as, as being nostalgic at its heart i i think the, the heart of it is about uh an improvisational game system, which is exactly how you d design your rule sets, you know, is with a, a, a highly improvisational element where the players and the, you know, everyone is is adding to it. Um, so, you know, th and that's also how I see the core of the OSR. And then everybody has, you know, things that they like or dislike, uh, you know, having to do with the art, the you know, the degree of role playing, whatever it might be. Um, but that I think is, I, I think you have to have some of that in addition to an improvisational system for it to be old school, because otherwise you're really just talking about an improvisational system instead of being old school improvisational system. But I, I think that the, the real heart of it is that um, there is, there are a lot of areas that are only loosely covered by the rules and then the gaming group, you know, or the referee fill in whatever necessary rulings or improvisation is needed to to make it keep moving as a as a game yeah and that's how i, I like to approach the games too and then i i seek this kind of games that, that for me they're almost kind of you know a lego set they have all the structure but you can take them apart and, and put together a little bit different and interpret them uh in different ways like the 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 box is only a suggestion for for play right. and you can make it your own and that's that's fascinating for me uh, but I mean, I always ask guests uh, who come here to maybe uh, introduce themselves and who, who they are and what they do and to share uh, maybe just a small weird detail about themselves. And maybe some weirdo out there doesn't know who you are, but I always like to ask to for the guests here to express to themselves who they are and what they do, because reading a bio, it, it's different. So, Matthew, if you can just uh, enlighten our, our weirdos out there. Uh, well, for, first of all, you know, I'm a weirdo like anybody else, you know, who's likely listening to it. Uh, the uh, uh, I, I guess the important thing for why I'm on the show is because I wrote uh, 
the probably what was the first pure retro clone uh, of rules that was really trying to duplicate the rules uh, of the game, which was Osric. And then I wrote Swords and Wizardry, which uh, Osric was for first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Swords and Wizardry is the original version of Dungeons and Dragons that came before Advanced versions, uh, before Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and the idea being to simply, as, as, as close as legally possible, duplicate the description of those rules so that people can then mess around with them and to you know release them into open game content of, of one sort or another um, at the time that was through the wizards of the coast open gaming license um, which now has sort of fallen out of favor we're using a different license called elf uh, to, to get that out for people to use um, and uh, i wrote a, a little pamphlet called the quick primer for old school gaming um, which was really only intended as a as a quick introduction of how to do it. It's been taken uh, as a kind of a manifesto of old school gaming, which it really <laughs> wa really yeah. wasn't intended to be. It's widely discussed here in Brazil, like yeah. in, in, in podcasts, and, and it's and I'm actually yeah. I'm going to have a uh, a revised 2024 version of that coming oh, out great. with with the Kickstarter that we're going to do in spring of 2024. Uh, which is a Kickstarter for supplement some supplemental rules for Swords and Wizardry and a monster book. And one of the things in the supplemental rule book is going to, and, and we'll also release it separately, but is is a revised version of that primer. Because it is discussed, so, uh, uh, you know, you, you almost, you don't want to change something that people view as a classic because then it causes, you know, people don't know which version they're talking about. But the thing was that what I wrote it for in... Um, 2008 first of all it was making comparisons to third edition dungeons and dragons yeah Dun dungeons and dragons changed, yeah. yeah a lot has changed you know there's an entirely different design approach to fifth edition dungeons and dragons which is now what people are coming to and so if people are reading the primer uh, you know for one thing they'll run into uh, you know a description of a spot check which isn't i think is meaningless now in fifth edition because it's a perception check that some of the words have changed that i use to make the comparisons mm. um and also fifth edition is a more a more old school system i think than third edition yeah. D, D was and so i dialed back a little bit of the um of the of the contrast uh, in there yeah, and in, in also, this spectrum of old schoolness yes yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it is it is i mean it's certainly it, it's it's i think fifth edition is falling into the trap that second edition fell into yeah. which is that you simply have so many so many um, yeah resources now that it's becoming complex not because any individual component is yeah. complex it's just but because it's there becoming are so too big. many yeah. components that it be begins to become difficult so i think it's facing that challenge um but that's a very but it, different but it, but that's also uh, one of the attractions too, because it's malleable. You can, if you have a group and you can agree, oh, we're only going to use this and this, and we're going to keep it basic. But if you want to make it so, you know, complex, because some people really like this kind of oh, yeah. chess of making this combination. So, oh yeah, that's, no, that's I mean, well, that's that's one of the things yeah. we had to really be concerned about when we were coming out with the supplemental rule book um, for Swords and Wizardry, because there's another, I think, 10 new character classes. So that brings the number of character mm -hmm. classes up to 21. Um, and so at the very beginning of the book, I, I say, look, for a lot of people, the attraction of Swords and Wizardry is that it's simple. So, you know, you do not have to use anything from this book. You know, these are all completely optional um, because there really are, you know, 
people have different tolerances for how much material they want to have in a game. So we wanted to say that, you know, right at the outset was, you know, this is not an, it's not an expansion of the official game. It's a set of optional things that you can pick and choose and add. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I interrupted like you, you were saying all the things you, you've made and, and, and like you made so much, right? You said the kick primer, sword and wizard, all a trick. So much for the adventure design, which is like a masterpiece of making adventures and, and giving you tools and inspirations to make this and really changes how I, I make my own games too. I have to provide them some tools like those because they're fantastic. Like you, you really don't need a lot to, you don't need a lot of adventures to play. Like if you have those tools, you can improvise and, and keep playing. If it, if it is a game of improvisation, as you said, like if the uh, it's the OSR is really about improvisation. If you have a system that it is easy for you, like to roll on the tables, have some ideas, and quickly you know come up with a monster or you know a situation, uh, it's it's so easy. Like you said, third edition was really more about preparation. I I I, I am those cases of always being the DM, mm -hmm. so I would spend hours, you know stat blocks you know preparing all kinds of situations yeah. and back then in the 90s I, we had this approach of the dm being a storyteller so it was kind of railroading railroading kind of jamming so you have to prepare everything because you have to be prepared for any if they're trying to screw up your story you know and yeah and they were sort of taught me how to let go of this and, and have a lot more fun I, i'm playing with the players i i don't have to be you know, so worry about telling a story. Just prepare a situation and let's find out what happens, you know. And yeah, I think I think one of the real benefits of the old school, you know, a, a approach is for the referee because I think it's more fun to play that way for the referee. There are more surprises. There's less preparation. You can get more into playing the game in your role uh, than, than you can if you feel like you have to, you know, have all of these you know stat blocks when we when we were selling you know way you know materials for third edition dungeons and dragons i mean the the rule that you had in your head was that the people what they're buying is stat blocks more than anything else they're really not buying so much story they're not really buying um you know the atmosphere they're they're mainly buying what they're really willing to pay for is is statistics because that's what you needed yeah that's true uh, we're buying math you know like yeah. we're <laughs> We get out of school and we hate math. No, let's yeah. buy more math. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, but I, I interrupted your game. But uh, one thing I want to ask: like, who who is Matt Finch outside of the tabletop RPG space? Well, gosh, I mean, it's taken up so much of my life that I'm not sure that there's a lot of me outside <laughs> of tabletop gaming. To be honest. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I like, uh, you know, reading like probably everybody in the hobby. Um, so, you know, I've got the whole library. I like, you know, history. Um, I like reading, uh, you know, mystery novels is probably one of the, uh, the things that's outside of the hobby entirely. Um, right now I'm reading uh, Tony Hillerman's um, Jim Chi and Joe Leaphorn books, which are a set in uh, the Navajo reservation in Arizona and New Mexico. Um, so that's, you know, got no contact at all with the tabletop gaming or the things that I do with that. Um, so you, you uh, don't see any any connection on how you approach the, the hobby or how do you design adventures and settings and situations 
uh, through this this interest you have in fiction and mystery and in history? Uh, well, there's uh, you know there's definitely a connection you know between you know particularly history um, and uh, you know all of all of that. But what I do when I'm relaxing um, and not at a convention is usually to you know sit and, and read a mystery novel or something like that. So that's uh, I, I really don't read all that terribly much. Um, fantasy or swords and sorcery fiction anymore um, mainly just because I've really covered I've read most of the greats uh, that are out there and um, you know so it, you're hit or miss with the modern yeah. writers nowadays because you know some of them are um, you know writing from a background of Dungeons and Dragons and that actually creeps into the fiction and so yeah. uh, you know you, you're you and then you're you know back at work it's kind of recycled again. like a yeah Recycled fantasy, yeah, I, I get that too. Uh, but I mean, do you, you don't think any of the mystery elements? Have you ever wanted to make a mystery game or something about crime or anything that you put in any of your fantasy games? Like, Not because... really, no, no. Because the thing is that I don't really consider myself a game designer. Um, I, I've done a good job of rewriting games that were designed by other people in such a way that it made it available to a wide audience and, you know, and developing uh, that. But I really consider myself more of an adventure designer um, than, than a game designer. My, my game design is not up to, you know, the level that you hit. It's not up to the level that James Spawn hits. It's not up, you know, there, there are a lot of phenomenal game designers out there, Stephen Radley McFarlane um, that I'm nowhere. I'm just, I, you know, they, I've, I say, you know, here's a thing yeah. that you could do. And they immediately say, ah, well, what you want to do with that uh, is you need, you know, three darts, two six-sided <laughs> dice, and a piece of paper. And I, I don't, it, I'm like, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. what you need. I would never have thought of that. So th it's not an error. You know, I'm not, I'm not bad at it, but it's not but really even, where my even, skills you know, lie. <laughs> in adventures, like you, you don't have, you know, mystery in adventures. Like I could say you're an adventure designer, uh, Because I don't know, I, I was wondering just, just like your passions, your things, your interests. Sometimes they just could bring some like some reference, or or if if you if you or if you just try not to cross one thing with another, like your fantasy and adventure with mystery, or it's just it's just a curiosity. But yeah, well, I mean, I don't try not to cross them, um, and I think that anything, uh, you know, one of the best things that you know any. DM can do is to read because you just have all of these stories and story elements and things ready in the back of your yeah. head when and when your players do something um, you almost start talking before you realize oh okay I know where I'm getting that yeah, this, this idea for, for that, yeah. from so it definitely inspires the uh, the sorts of things that you run into in an adventure but I don't deliberately try to say okay i'm enjoying a mystery novel let me write a mystery game or let me write a mystery adventure that's not really the way that that i do it i come up with a you know for an adventure i come up with an idea for the adventure and then start working from there and it just develops where it develops so how how is that process like how is your process of developing an adventure do you, or it, it varies so much you can have like pinpoints Or do you have a process to come up with ideas for your adventures? It varies a lot. I, I try and uh, usually 
you know, I, I write a lot that don't go anywhere, you know, where I'll write just an, an introductory idea for something and it never goes anywhere. Um, for the ones that do go somewhere, it's usually that I try and uh, write a one paragraph description of whatever the idea was that I had in my head. And then um, from there, if it creates a, a visual picture of something that might happen at some point in the adventure, that's a really good visual picture um th then i take that and i might make a couple of notes about that um but that begins to um create the first this then that then this then that then this then that kind of uh, uh, development um of it so i i have to have some sort of picture in my head and it might not even be very relevant to the adventure i mean when i went to um southern spain on a trip with my mom because she wanted to go see the alhambra um and a lot of the um and so we we spent a lot of time going to the hill towns um and uh seeing a lot of the um the the arabic moorish um architecture that that was there um and that was very inspiring just because it was a different form of architecture than I had run across before. Um, and just putting that architecture and that imagery into my mental picture of a fantasy world was enough to create several different ideas going forward, yeah. even though it, even though it wasn't adventure component components, but it was a powerful enough visual picture that it began creating its own adventure elements. Yeah. I love that. Especially, you know, uh, I'm writing, you know, primal quest don't about the the these primal planets, you know, in jungles and, and when I go to the forest here in Brazil with, with my kid and I go into caverns and, and and I try to draw in as much as I can, like to get this feeling of being this the most primal thing I can get close to here, you know, mm -hmm. in, in Rio de Janeiro. And so I, I get this, you know, get inspired by where you are, even though it's not adventure, but you see architecture, it's a little bit of history. You, you, you can even picture things happening in, in, in that environment, you know, even though there's like other people walking around, it's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, I always ask the guests to come here and the podcast is about the weird and we have a very positive, you know, view of the weird, like the weird is the new wonderful and it's unique, but I always ask them to try to define what is weird for them and how they seek that in, in their work, in their life. Uh, if they seek that at all? Well, I think that, you know, for for me, <clears throat> weird really just means doing what's interesting to you without really caring about what other people think about it. Um, so, you know, the so a, a, a more precise word in English might be eccentric. Um, in, in terms of how I see weird, um, because I think that there are plenty of people who are weird and it's something that is, you know, not frowned upon. I think there are people who are weird and, and other people, you know, they look a little suspiciously at that kind of weirdness, but it's all, uh, you know, it, what it is, is it's people who are individuals doing their own thing. And, uh, and we all have interesting you know, hobbies. And, you know, we watched a show uh, the other day, Susie and I, where a guy had built uh, his, his, the place that he was happiest was on a train. 
and it was a particular train that he used to take back and forth and he had built a replica of the inside of the train car in his basement under his house um a, an exact replica of the so that when he wanted to relax he could go down he could sit yeah. in his train and i love that and things like that i i, I absolutely yeah. love so uh you know that i think and you know that that kind of thing is exactly what makes civilization interesting and what makes civilization tick is people doing things that other people might not think of and and just going and doing it so yeah i i think it's a lot about being authentic and being comfortable being yourself even even though others might judge you because they don't feel comfortable being themselves too so I yeah. think there's a lot of reflection of, of this. And, and and you mentioned about the, you know, the, the train. It's almost like finding a, a sanctum for you to feel comfortable. You know, mm -hmm. do you have anything like this for you? Like a, a place where you you imagine being there or like you feel at peace uh, in some way? Well, my my office, you can see I've got all the books behind me and, you know, I have I have this room, uh, you know, we have a, a an atrium in our house where this, there's no roof over the middle of it. And it's sort of like a little tiny courtyard. Uh, you know, that's a, a nice place. So, you know, it's all around my house. So I'm lucky in that regard. So. Yeah. Do you. Do you think, you know, talking about weird, do you see role-playing games as being something weird and, and, and unique? Or, or do you think that like there are any other form of media? And what would you say is like your favorite part of uh, role-playing games? Well, I think role-playing games used to be weird. I think now they are not so much anymore because it's become so mainstream. Um, and not just the tabletop gaming, but people can understand the tabletop gaming even if all that they've played is a video game um, like, you know, Morrowind or one of the uh, one of the fantasy uh, video games. And I th think that, you know, so now I think people understand what you're talking about when you talk about tabletop gaming in a way that they didn't used to be able to understand what you were even talking about. So I think that it's become, you know, far less weird uh, than it used to be. And I think that, you know, is that in, good? In, is that bad? What What do you think about this? I think it's probably good because I think tabletop role playing mm -hmm. is a, a very good hobby, um, you know, for people just to learn about, you know, social interaction with other people. Oh, yeah. it's, it's any, I think anything that gets people together in a small group, um, you know, talking about something, you know, so, you know, it might be a book club. You might be getting together and discussing yeah. books that you've read. I think, I think that a tabletop gaming is, is, is very much like a book club. It's very much like, um, you know, any, any sort of small group activity where people react, where people interact, um, several times, you know, on a regular basis. I think anything that gets people great connections yeah. is, yeah. I think anything that makes people do that is probably a good thing for society in general because it's just you know we're becoming so much less connected than we yeah, used to be. Yeah, we're becoming very isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's uh you know it provides something that's very very important probably a lot more important than we think. And it's not so much because we're necessarily playing D&D &D or you know or any particular game but it's just that we're getting together, we're talking with people, we're interacting. It is. Um, we're not sitting alone in suburban houses, you know, eating a TV dinner watching a television and not interacting with anybody yeah and and 
I've I read a lot about you know philosophy because of anxiety and try to you know calm my thoughts down. And one one book I read was about Ikigai, which kind of a philosophy of of you know uh, exists in Japan and in other parts of the world, and and it has a lot about to do with being connected and having a community and the the place in the world people live you know the longest and live the healthiest are the places where the communities are a lot more connected like we are not isolated in like large apartment buildings that we don't even talk to the neighbors like people see each other talk to each other they they have meals together they have they, they build connections and, and and it's so important it, not only for mental health but i think for physical health too and rpgs do that and i think so much more for me it's one of the healthiest hobbies uh, anyone can get because you get you get reads you do math you make friends you you solve problems because it is about solving problems mm -hmm. and and you have to you know how to deal with opposing you know ideas and i know i learned so much like i learned another language to be able to to play things i wanted to play mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's fantastic in some ways. So, what do you say is, is your favorite uh, part of of a role playing game? Um, favorite part of it is, I mean, again, it's the people talking to people. I, I really enjoy, you know, most of the gaming I do at, at the moment is conventions, um, and so you know, there there are people that I see, um, you know, over and over again at conventions who play in my games, and it's always like you know, coming home and having a family gathering, yeah. you know, every time that we you know, get together at one of these conventions to play. So I think it's, again, it's the sitting down with people. I mean, online gaming is, is fun and it's probably, uh, you yeah. know, it's probably also beneficial in the same way that we were talking about the face-to-face -face groups. But my, you know, I, I think that personal face-to-face -face connections are probably oh, the, yeah. most the most important of the types of human interactions Absolutely. that we yeah. have. Although if the only thing that you can do is, you know, talk, you know, via Facebook, um, you know, then that's better than nothing, I think. But yeah, everything probably. that is worth 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 being done well, it's worth being done, you know, as best as you can get. Uh, I like, I love, I I much prefer, you know, playing face to face and in a group and sitting on the table and you know arriving a little bit early, talking about our day, sharing a meal, and then playing, because online is almost always we're playing from two to five. And usually people log from, you know, a little bit late. And then as soon as the game is out, everybody's out. So you, you don't get, you know, the hangout part of it. That is so good, you know, yeah. the connection, as you said. So uh, I miss playing face-to-face -face so much. And, and it's getting harder. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. When I go to conventions and the podcast was born of my my, my desire to know continue having the conversations I was having at Gen Con this year. And I said, I have to, you know, make this podcast and then invite people to talk to and connect because that's the thing I love about going to, to know, the conventions and, and talking to people about stuff that doesn't even necessarily have to do with the games we're playing or anything like this. Yeah. Are you coming to Gen Con this coming year? I think I saw uh, you were coming to Game Game Hole or, or was it Gary oh, Con? I mean, there's a very small chance, like we're seeing if I can go to to a convention in Arizona. Uh, I think it's Game Expo. I have to check, uh, but we're seeing that's a possibility. 
and and if that's possible and then it's like one a week before uh, Garicom I can like extend the trip to you know get to Garicom because I, I never was able to to go but usually when I go to uh, since I went to Jenkong last year uh this year like we save money and then if we have some uh my my wife is gonna travel to attend her cousin's wedding that is in California mm-hmm. so we don't have money like to to do both travels so like we right since i right. went Although to Hong Kong last year yeah it's it's her turn to take a take a, a vacation as well and then it's nice yeah but otherwise i would go to 2025 for for okay. Kong. Or, or or if like my games sell well and i have more money who knows <laughs> i might everybody, go. everybody hear that buy some of the games <laughs> yeah uh, matt do you have any you know, creative ritual for when you start working on 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 your games or, or your adventures or, or you know your, your resource that you make. Do you, do you play music? Do you like invoke the music in some way? Put on shoes or anything like this? Okay, well, I used to, um, and so I think that I developed those really slowly. We've only moved into this house about a year ago. Um, and so I, I really don't have a ritual now. It used to be that I would put on my baseball cap and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and put on some music and, and write. And, and then we moved to Arizona and then we moved to Indiana and then we moved back to, uh, to Houston, the Houston area. Um, and that sort of got thrown off. So I'm expecting, I think I evolve those little rituals slowly based on where I am. And since I'm in a new place, it's going to be a new ritual. So I, I haven't really got one yet. I do, I do very often, um, listen to some sort of music that I've either heard so many times or that's not in English so that I can't understand the lyrics, because if I'm hearing the, the lyrics to the music that tends to, to get in the way of what I'm yeah. thinking, like an interruption Same thing here. Mm-hmm. But yeah. so, you know, so I listen to things that are in, in other languages and that actually works better, uh, you know, as, as a background sort of thing or Gregorian chant, you know, or it's in Latin. I don't understand any of the Latin. So, uh, but that's probably the one thing is some, some kind of background music. Um, but it can't be something where I, that, where I understand it. That so draws it your break. attention. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That draws. Do you, do you, are you listening to anything in particular now? Like I recently found uh, a band that's like a surf rock guitar, but with you know uh, video game music to it, uh, inspired by Atari and really like old video games like Riverhead and stuff, and and and, and it's all instrumental, so it's 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 great, you know. It's it's called Go uh, Aventura Supercell. It's a Brazilian band, but but it's all instrumental. It's uh-huh. quite good. Do you have anything that you've been listening to? recently to no not recently not recently i mean the way that i tend to do it is is just uh you know when i'm sitting down to write i'll just click onto youtube and see what the recommendations are and it's you know i don't use uh spotify so uh you know it's usually youtube um and i'll listen to one or two things you know that are that are obviously gonna you know be and and then if there's one that catches my uh attention as being the right kind of feel then I'll yeah, play yeah. that and then I'll repeat it and I'll repeat it and I'll repeat it and I'll repeat it. So, um, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not normal music listening the way that I do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything that you listen, uh, when you're not writing that you, some favorite musician or bands or 
Are you into music in general, or I'm 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 really I'm really well. I mean, yes, I enjoy music, but I'm not into music, so I don't really have very many favorite bands. Um, I've in fact I've got several, and I probably don't know the names of them. It's just a song that I hear. I'm like, oh, I like yeah. this song, um, but uh, you know, I'm not. I I don't have a very good ear uh, for music. I hear uh, sound as a, 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 a song. I kind of hear as a single unit. For example, I can't. Most people apparently. Instruments and, yeah. Most people can say, "Ah, here's the bass line." I'm, you know, isn't that a neat, neat bass line? And I'm like, I don't hear a bass line. It's just part of a single. So I, I really don't have a good, a, a good ear for music. I enjoy it. You know, I'm not yeah. tone deaf, but I don't. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Like we, we each one like and get more into its stuff. Like I. I, I don't know how about music. I know about some of my bands, so I don't. I probably don't know a lot about a lot of other stuff, and you're probably interested in other stuff that I don't. Uh, but uh, now asking, you know, about your source of inspiration that I usually ask guests here, because I, you know, everything inspires us, of course, like everything we can draw from. But is there uh, one thing that I always see myself drawing to is like uh, the cartoons and comics and movies of my childhood from like late 80s and early 90s do you have any you know creative space you see yourself drawing a lot from that is something that is part of you know your creative imagination probably probably uh ancient greek mythology which is um you know you, you in school you learn a very sanitized basic version of ancient greek mythology and there was a lot more um to it that was going on there are a lot of myths that really don't make it into the the lists that most kids read um there are subtexts behind a lot of those and i my first year uh in college um i thought i would be a classics major um before i realized just how difficult it was going to be to learn both ancient greek and latin and then also read things in those languages within four years and i uh, you know did one year of ancient greek and then tried to read the iliad and discovered that you know what i had been learning in ancient greek was um it, it vaguely worked for the attic greek period uh, you know of, of athens but for the the homeric greek it was entirely different because you know it had been around for a very very long time the language had changed um and so i realized i'm just not going to be able to accumulate the tools for this degree quickly enough to do the things i need to do for the degree but while i was doing that um you know with with ancient greek you get you begin to get a sense just from learning the language about the depths of, of some of the ways that it's um The, the ancient Greek poetry is is has got a lot of implications and, and things in the in the language. It's a very different language from English, um, and uh, so and and I of course since I was doing classics, I was reading uh, a lot of the college level mythology, which is very very different from the middle school and high school mythology. And so you know the the fact that there were all the the Chthonic gods who probably got changed to the Titans. Um, you know the, the the migrations in and out of the to the of the area that eventually becomes the the Hellenic um, area of control in the yeah. ancient world, um, and so I would say it's probably the 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 lesser known ancient Greek mythology is probably what I draw on 
most deeply and I it, it's really more for the themes than the actual myths that that I pull on but uh, you know the idea of you know underground religions you know mystery religions that don't rely on dogma they re rely on an experience um, and so on but would I think pro probably be the, the biggest source of in inspiration for me yeah that, that's fascinating I and mean, it's how I was asking you know, about your background and, and how that influenced. So that's something like you studied and then it's something that became part of your imagination and you draw a lot from for your work. And and it, how you talked about how different it is from what we learned in, like in school. It's almost, it's like fairy tales, right? Like oh, fairy yeah. tales we learned like from Disney and in school. It's very sanitized like, uh, you know, Little mer Mermaids, like it's it's a bloodbath, like in the yeah. original. You know, <laughs> well, it's, it's a tr absolute tragedy. You know, yeah. Little Mermaid. Nothing works out yeah. well for anyone in Hans yes. Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. Hans Christian Andersen was a great storyteller, but a really depressing uh, view yeah. of life. <laughs> when you read his stuff, he's the Little Tin Soldier as well. Uh, yeah, the Brave Tin Soldier. Um, yeah. So, you know, and and then you yeah, go even he, further back, and you get stuff that's pulling on. Uh, you know, r rural experiences in a very, very difficult world that are a lot more raw than what the Victorian, mm -hmm. uh, you know, retellers of those stories wanted to put in front of, you know, kids in London. So, yeah. But if you go like in the original source of pretty much uh, fairy tales from almost every place in the world, it is like this. Mm -hmm. It is kind of terrible. Like I've, I've read some Russian fairy tales, some oh. fairy tales, you know, from, <laughs> yes. from uh, you know African cultures, and they all have really horrific stuff. Like they almost, they almost like horror stories in some ways. Because mm -hmm. I don't know. Now I'm thinking about how like we like our parents learn how to educate us through fear, and it kind of relates. Like fairy tales are like educational tools, and they are they were made to to educates through fear i think in some way so that's well, kind i of think you know at, at one point at one point in time when i was th you know thinking about folklore and mythology you know so again this is college so this is old old scholarship but you know one of the going theories there was that it was a, a lot of those fairy tales were written to warn you about things that did happen in real life but without telling you what it was really about so a lot of it is you know don't do think you know don't yeah. listen to a stranger who you don't know um you know it's a lot of the same lessons are there but it's they're told in a very different way exactly yeah yeah it's it's the the uh little uh red riding hood like don't talk to stranger in the front don't take follow you know the routes that you were telling you to do don't go to like strange places you don't know yeah it's they were educational you know stories like yep. In a way, like all stories are in education in some way, even unintentional, but yeah. Do you, uh, is, Matt, do you see any like other artists or creator or, you know, designer from any of media, it can be from games or outside of games, that inspires how you approach your work and the way you you act in, in the space of, of, you know, tabletop playing games? Um. Well, I mean, there's probably a whole lot of people that uh, inspire me, you know, both in the uh, tabletop and outside, uh, mostly authors, I think, um, you know, because I work mainly from the written 
you know, we already talked about how I'm not very good with music. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. the, uh, you know, it, but to give a few, I mean, yeah, there are a, a lot. I mean, Colleen McCulloch's Rome series, um, gave me a, a viewpoint on ancient Rome that I think was really interesting. I think, you know, obviously Jack Vance, um, was able to see a kind of fantasy that other people were not, uh, able to see. I love the, the traveler game. So Mark Miller has got to be in there. Um, obviously Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Um, uh, you know, my, uh, favorite poets are T.S. Eliot, William Butler Yeats, probably. And then Neil Gaiman is great. Although I don't think Neil Gaiman's really directly impacted anything that I've done recently. But, uh, you know, he's a, a really great read. Um, the, uh, you know, fun authors to read are, um, uh, I mean, I really like C.J. Cherry's uh, Channer series is one. Glenn Cook's Black Company books are great. Um, so, you know, there's... Lots and lots and lots and lots of, uh, you know, sources for that. C.J. Sansom's uh, Matthew Shardlake series is great if you want to do any sort of city adventures. Um, so, yeah, there's there's, yeah. there's a lot. I could keep going. I'm just I'm turned yeah, around. No. Since this is a podcast, <laughs> yeah. only yeah. only Diogo knows that I'm turned around now with my back to the computer looking at my bookshelf. But, you know, there's yeah. uh, the Bernard Cornwell books are great. Mainly I liked the Sharps Rifles ones, but there he did some uh, that were about King Arthur, I think Enemy of God and Excalibur. Yeah, Ben Dragon. Those. Yeah. yeah, those are great. Um, that's a really great picture of uh, medieval um Wales and the center of England. Um, Winter King, right? At least here in Brazil. I think he did. I think King. he did two. Oh yeah. Is Winter King in that series? Winter King maybe. But the you know the yeah. thing is they like you say yes the Winter King yeah I've got it right here so yeah uh, whichever series Winter King is is probably the the one that the other ones are in but they also do have different titles a lot of the times when things are published yeah. in different countries so you never really know. I was very annoyed when I bought a whole set of books uh, by uh, Jeffrey Archer, um, who I don't read anymore for various reasons. But uh, uh, he, uh, I've, they had an entirely different set of titles, and I found in a books in a used bookstore. Aha! Here are some Jeffrey Archer books I've never seen before, and I had. They would just had different titles. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, I was really curious about like, have you ever like studied the process or the way? Any of those, you know, authors uh, do their work, and and that influenced how you do your work in any way. I mean, no, probably no, Guy Anderson or anything, or no? No, I don't. I don't really think so. I don't really. Um, I mean, I'm interested, but the only author I know very much about the method that they used was um, <clears throat> Michael Moorcock, who should have been on my list of people who have been a big influences because Michael Moorcock, of course. But he did write yeah. a uh, a formula based on somebody else's formula uh, that he used for writing his books. So I did get a little bit of insight into reading, uh, you know, the way that he structured his stories. But I have to say, I think that's one of the weaker points in Michael Moorcock, because you can see that he does that um, uh, mm. when you read the Corum books and then you read the Elric books and then you read the, the Hawkmoon books and you realize that, you know, okay, this is a little bit, a little bit formulaic. So it wasn't actually, I don't think one of the strong points. <laughs> <laughs> Hello weirdos. This is Diogo Nogueira and I'm back with a word from our sponsors. Me. 
I just released a new game called Cosmosaurus, in which you play a dinosaur space ranger who protects the galaxy from evil threats such as slime bankers, undead pirates and Cosmosaurus from a void dimension. It's a game with a runes light system inspired by Forge in the Dark and Lasers and Feelings. Uh, it comes with a bunch of tables for you to generate content for it. If you know my games, they are really easy to play and they have tools to help you improvise and play with low prep. It's an ideal game for one-shots, short campaigns and introducing new people to the hobby. And it's a really perfect family game. I play with my kids all the time. It's a game inspired by Saturday morning cartoons. It's really well illustrated. Um, uh, by Lukas Kowalski from Poland and with a great layout by Guilherme Gontijo. It's a really fun game, you should check it out on DriveThruRPG, itch.io or exclusively in print on ExaltedFuner.com. I have many other games there, check them out, all the links are in the show notes, so click there. And let's get back to Weird with our chat. Are you working on any new book or adventure? Uh, that you would like to talk to us about. I know uh, Thomas Adventure Design uh, app is coming out, and I'm very excited about it. Like the book is fantastic, and then having you should already have use. you already you should already have the app. Do you not have yours yet? Oh, I I didn't, but I was in the final verse. So like it, it is already out. Yeah, and, it is. I, okay. I'll make sure. I'll make sure that we get your. Yeah, so I need to make sure that you've got that because we've already. No, we've already I probably have it. I have it on the Steam, and I had the beta one. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So we, we I, need to make sure we get you that. If you if you don't already have it, you you mentioned we're, yeah, you know, the, the 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 Kickstarter that's coming in spring, and yeah, we've actually you... we've got a, we've got a lot of things coming out this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've we're uh, so many that we can't do Kickstarters uh, for all of them. So we'll probably we're going to release some of these as as just. Uh, for people to buy, um, we're going to come out with a, uh, okay. So there's the Kickstarter, the two, the two Kickstarters that we're planning on for this coming year. Uh, the first one in the spring, uh, will be for the supplemental swords and wizardry book, and then a monster book for swords and wizardry. And, um, the second Kickstarter, um, is going to, uh, assuming it all comes together is going to be for Osric and, and we're going to publish Osric, uh, as well under mm. Mythmere games. Um, and then in terms of other, and, and so both of those will have little things that go out with the Kickstarters as well, but those will all be rules related type of things, like probably for, uh, Osric and possibly for Swords and Wizardry as well. Um, you know, a separate PDF that people can do a print on demand for each of the character classes, at least the ones that have spells, maybe with a little pre-generated character sheet so that people can just hand out. You know, here's a, a character and the rules yeah. for that character. So things, you know, they're rules related. Um, and then um, we're coming out with a also in the in terms of rules, um, we're going to uh, do a, a relay out and a slight revision to uh, Swords and Wizardry white box, because when I was doing the Swords and Wizardry revised complete, we added some things in that actually dated back to white box, like you know, random castles. Uh, things like that. And so uh, we're putting those into white box and then that's really part of a two-step process because white box is going out as the retro clone uh, as the original rules. And then uh, in the, uh, again, sometime in the spring, James spawn is going to be coming out with an expanded white box. So there will basically be two books, one of which is the original with, you know, tr and staying 
very tightly with the rules. And then James's, I think, makes a couple of little rules tweaks, like he only uses a D20 and a D6, um, but he has new character classes. And so there, there's a one-two development there for white box. Um, we're also uh, almost entirely done with the City Encounters book, which is something that we haven't published in, in many years, probably at least 10 years. Um, and that is a uh, there's 200 daytime encounters in a city, 200 nighttime encounters in a city. And also each of those encounters has various different possibilities in terms of, you know, who the NPC is, uh, what they're doing might be different. Um, the reason they're doing it might be different. The person who's following them might be different. So there are nice, various yeah. different options, you know, even if you roll the same thing twice very reusable yeah yeah you've got the ability to or and, and it's it's really i wasn't so much focused on reusability because 400 encounters is more than anyone you're not going to be yeah. re-rolling things very anytime soon but what i was thinking about was that you know in one group you may have you know a paladin and a cleric and everybody is very very good and very very heroic and that is going to need once you're there you're looking for one sort of encounter or you might have a, a group of characters where there's an assassin a thief and they're all you know pretty much you know uh anti-heroes yeah. and they need a different sort of encounter and so for those it was a way of letting the referee look at here's a basic idea of what you've encountered like, but now you dials no you can right, dial up you and can, dial down yeah exactly Perfect. so that so and that one is probably coming out you know fairly soon we're we're almost done uh we're in editing right now uh, we've got all of the art, so probably in a few days we'll start. We'll send the first proof over to Drive Through RPG because we'll probably do it as print on demand, um, and then that could be anywhere from one to three months getting the proofs because it's very slow getting the proofs back and making the revisions on that. So it's not coming out instantly, but that will be out fairly soon. Um, and so you know, between White Box, Osric, um, Swords and Wizardry supplements. City encounters, probably a couple of modules that will go with that. Um, I want to do a relay out of uh, Tomb of the Iron God, uh, awesome. which is one of the modules yeah. that I've written that I, I like, but I did my own layout. I adapted it to a campaign, so I'd like it's to a come great out. Module. With, thank yeah. you. I'd like to. I, so I'd like to come out with one, you know, really professional-looking version of that uh, to have out there. So we're we're doing a lot of things this year. And what did you say? It's your favorite weird. Uh, elements of all of those uh, releases that you're preparing? Like, what is the weirdest thing that's got you excited about uh, maybe one of them? Or, or, or just one of that that you want to share that people will get maybe excited how? Well, I think one of the things is that when the, the supplemental rules for Swords and Wizardry involve some new character classes. And um, I really do like the uh, we've got a, uh, uh, there's a, in, in addition to a regular barbarian, we've also got a wrath chanter. We separated the idea of a barbarian who is simply somebody who was raised in the wilderness in a tribal society from a berserker. And so we've got, you know, basically a berserker type in there, um, who's somebody who can become, you know, in, uh, enraged. And, yeah. Well, it, but what it is, is the, the way that we described it was that they're, um, uh, they're they're filled with a, a battle spirit, and there are a, a, you know a certain number of these battle spirits out there, and that basically came from Joe Joe Abercrombie. Although I think the the very first berserker in the world is probably uh, Achilles, going back to the ancient Greek, the Achilleos, when uh, when Patroclus dies, 
and he stands up on the rampart and shouts three times and every time that he shouts it uh you know it's, it's it, it disrupts the whole battle and uh and oh, then yeah. the, the rage you know the, the first word in the uh in the iliad is is wrath rage um and it's because again you know ancient greek follows a different word order it can come in any word order um and so the 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 poetics of what they would do would be to emphasize a word you could move it to the beginning of the sentence and still have it work so the actual first sentence uh is uh you know works out to be you know uh wrath uh o muse help me to tell of pelian achilles um so anyway the first word of the iliad is wrath yeah. so you know he's i think the, the the prototypical berserker um uh so anyway but <clears throat> what i was answering the the, the question was, was about what are the weird elements. And I think that some of these character classes <clears throat> that we've got in the, the supplemental book, because we've got, we've got that and we've got a demon hunter um, who is somebody who can smell the presence of demons and can identify a lycanthrope. Um, and that those are some nice. of the things that they yeah. develop with, uh, with levels. Um, it's just, I think there's the, the range to get into a more Arduin like weird uh, kind of, of, sword and sorcery play style with some of these additional character classes, I think really emphasize that. And we've got it. It also goes in the other direction as well. There's a chivalric knight uh, who's basically like the cavalier um, for, yeah. because a lot of people like to, you know, have somebody who's a skilled writer uh, and really doesn't work well in the dungeon, but is great for outdoor adventuring. And so we've got, uh, you know, yeah. some more um, traditional Western European elements coming in there as well. Um but yeah, I, you're providing I think it gives the, a lot more direction so you can go. You're providing the, the bricks and they can, you know, settle on their own egos the way they want. Like if they want I hope so. more sword and so. sorcery, they would just pick, oh, we'll just use this, this, and this class. Uh, like the knight, you can be the knight. You can be the paladin. You know? yeah. Or there is there's no god, so you can be clerics. You can only, you know, be sorcerers or things like this. And that that's great. Like, do you have any, like, I love... You talk about like sword and wizardry, like, uh, sword and sorcery, and I love like sword and sorcery. Do you, do you have any plans like for like a more uh, straight sword and sorcery supplement for sword and wizardry, like doing something like Conan or for fighting Grey Mauser? Anything I, like this? I, I don't really think so. Not along those lines, because I mean, you know, Jeff Telanian has already covered that oh, yeah. ground very, very well yeah, with, very, with Hyperborea, yeah. and he's got a whole yeah. rule set that works very, very well for the sort of weird fiction um, yeah. type of, of, of thing. And so, you know, I the way that my thinking goes is I don't really put walls around something that I'm doing and say just it's provide going to the, be this the but tools. i do come out with something and then say wow okay this really fits more within weird yeah. sword and sorcery or it really fits more within you know traditional but i like all of those elements of fantasy that we've um you know we've in a sense we've artificially broken them into categories um when yeah, they don't very few true. of them really fit perfectly into those categories yeah. um so i i don't try to go with the taxonomy i just try and go where the the the, the mental story um you know that that i'm evolving um i just see where it goes yeah it makes sense you know, like provide all the tools and let them them play with it and then see where it goes from there mm-hmm. uh, matt w- would you say uh, do you have any you know particular style or mark you know like do you have 
a weird mark that you can identify throughout your work? Like, do you sense you have a voice? And if you do sense, can you tell us a little bit of what you think it is that marks your work as being yours? Well, I, I don't think I necessarily noticed it, and it's certainly not something I did on in on on purpose. But I've had yeah. a lot of I've had a lot of people tell me that when they're reading, that they can identify when it's me writing, because it's a more conversational uh, interaction with the reader. Um, you know, somebody was writing about how um, you know you can have a, a rule set, but then when they read Swords and Wizardry, it was the description of power word kill or something like that. And it said, you know, from one to four hit dice, it does this, and from five to eight hit dice, it does that. And if they have more than eight hit dice, it won't affect them, but they'll probably be impressed. And <laughs> it's it's apparently apparently yeah. I can't stop myself from making little uh, you know editorial comments like that when I'm writing and 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 people hey, tend to like it and, and, yeah. yeah so you know there it yeah, is it, it breaks the monotony of you know just reading statistics and i think that's it's a mark of a good writer because it keeps the, the, the reader interest because sometimes i do get bored like i i have this problem that i have to read the whole book if i'm reading the book mm -hmm. so i will read statistics and and those little things really help you know, you keep going because otherwise it's just starting to get a blur, you know, numbers and numbers and numbers. Yeah. And those small things really, you know, keeps you keep reading because you want to see, I want to see the next, the next little, you know, detail about this. That's a great touch, by the way. Uh, do, do you have any other hobbies besides uh, role-playing games and then you know, reading literature? Do you do anything that's just uh, for yourself and any kind of creative pursuit? It's mainly reading, I think, is what I do, you know, in my in my spare time. Like I said, you know, mystery novels. I don't have anything that I really pursue as a hobby in the sense of doing something or, uh, you know, developing skills at it. For a while, I was uh, painting um, the uh, uh, miniature terrain, you know, back when I was doing the online game uh, and uh, yeah. you know, was using was using terrain for that. And that that filled up. A hobby slot but i think really it's it's just reading for the most part yeah it's it's, it's also a great hobby and and, and miniatures can be uh, really time consuming and, and oh yeah and but it, it looked great like uh, the the visions like when you film it through you know the doorways uh the, those things were looked really really great uh, now i i wanted to ask you you know a little about a little bit more about your personal experiences, you know, a little bit about your personal life, about maybe weird experiences you might have had. Have you have you ever, you know, felt like you had any contact with in the supernatural, being, you know, either ghosts or uh, spirits, aliens or monsters or anything like this? Um, no, I can't really say that I have. Have you ever heard any stories that impressed you, like for where you came from or from where you were, you were born, or anything that's left you a mark, or like does you, you don't even believe uh, anything of this? It's or are you curious about this this kind of stuff or no? Well, I'm not very curious about it, but I mean, I think there's certainly a lot of things that we don't understand yet about the world. Um, but I haven't so much run into it. And the other thing is that, you know, since I've got, you know, uh, at one point diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, the, you know, I'm very, su very suspicious of something that has where, where my brain tells me 
we need to feel afraid or we need to feel something. And if it's an emotion that my brain is telling me about, then I'm very, very suspicious that it might not be, uh, you know, something from the outside, that it might be something coming from the inside in, in my case. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things I did have happen was when I was, uh, uh, in a, a very manic episode, um, I had my, uh, mental monologue, I guess people call it, uh, you know, the, the voice in your head. But the problem was I had, I had two more of them begin interrupting the, the voice that was in my head. And that's apparently characteristic of, um, uh, uh, something or other dysphoria. It's one of the different types of dysphorias. Um, anyway, but it's, uh, you know, so, uh, manic, manic dysphoria maybe. Um, but, uh, so that was really interesting because what it was, was that, you know, I just, because of things, you know, going haywire, um, I got a little bit of insight into the way that my brain works, which is, you know, not only do I have the one monologue, but that monologue is probably listening to other ones that are playing mm -hmm. at the same time. And normally you can't hear the ones in the background, but I was able to, you know, have those other ones interrupting. So that was really interesting in terms of mental processes and such, but it, I couldn't really call it. So it's weird, but it's not supernatural, yeah. I don't think. Wow, it's it's really weird. And have had this ever happened uh, in the other time, or just that that once? Just the one time. I was driving yeah. driving in the car and uh, really had to think about whether I ought to get off the road because it was very you know it was, it was very very strange yeah. what was going on uh, in my head. And so then they got into an argument about whether we should get off the road. So that you know <laughs> it didn't yeah. help much, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if 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 you want to talk about we we don't have to, but you mentioned about you know having bipolar disorder, and I was wondering if you would like to if you would talk about how that affects you know uh, your work and your life, uh, just like in the routine and how how it is to be a creator uh, dealing with it. Well, I mean, the the first thing is, you know, it's it's not a hundred percent clear that I've actually got bipolar disorder, and if I do, it's oh, what's okay. called it's what's called type two. I have been diagnosed with it, but uh, what I have is called type two bipolar disorder, which is not nearly as bad as the type one bipolar disorder that people talk about. Type two bipolar disorder isn't usually characterized with manic episodes. It's characterized with hypomanic episodes, which are great. It's a high energy level. It means you don't need to sleep and you've got a lot of creativity going. So that's actually good. Um, it's also characterized by, uh, you know, depression a bit more than yeah. the type one, but really, you know, the type, there's, the type two, there's I, good I, sides I, and bad sides. Like yeah. I have autism and there's, there's good side. Like my hyper focus, I can get really into the stuff that I love, mm -hmm. but I also I can forget everything. So it's a good side and bad side, right? Yeah. But so I really haven't had, you know, much with the, uh, uh, you know, with, with me, the only real problem with the bipolar happened when um, I got some antidepressants, uh, pres antidepressants prescribed for me. And if you, do have type 2 bipolar disorder you have to take a mood stabilizer if you're going to take antidepressants or it will boost you up into a full-on manic episode which was what happened when i had those voices you know going in the in the head um so you know but but really it hasn't caused much in the way of of problems for me because when i say bipolar disorder people take that as being a much more serious form of bipolar disorder than what I actually have, 
which I think the current um, view on how yeah. to handle type two bipolar disorder is you don't even take medication for it anymore. They did, you did back when I first was diagnosed with it, but I think nowadays, uh, you know, what they say is you just you don't even you know try to medicate that. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, with autism too, like I say. Like I, I have autism and I even had a coworker say said to me, No, you are not. Like even I have a diagnosis <laughs> and everything, but you know, and, and I think everything is a spectrum, right? Like we like every autistic person is different. Like every person that has bipolar disorder is it, different because mm -hmm. it does always manifesting like in subtle different ways in each person. Like we don't have all the symptoms. Like everybody doesn't have all the symptoms, so it's it's different. So medication too can work for some people, and different medication can work for others. And some people don't need and deal with that in, in other ways. So that, yeah, that I, I think we still lot, right? we still have a lot to learn about the yeah. way that the human mind functions. We learned a lot. We know like a lot more than like 20 years ago, like a lot, lot more. But it's oh, yeah. still very early, and we're still learning. Uh, but it's it, it it helps already. Like I I have anxiety too, and I take me medication for that, and it helps a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have you ever had any other weird experiences, like out of body experiences, or if you want to talk about any kind of near death experiences, or you know meditation, hypnosis, or anything like this? No, we tried hypnosis when I was in middle school, and it didn't really work. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've led a, a fairly boring life in terms of, you know, interesting, weird things happening to me. Uh, I can't really but say some, that I've had any sometimes of those. Sometimes those, those things happen. Like, uh, you know, sometimes people into meals get those, uh, psychedelic experiences through rhythm and just getting to this kind of states, or even, uh, if you're like a spiritual person, religious person, some people get those, you know, transcendation, you know, get into a trance or anything like this. Do you? Do you have a religion? Do you uh, do you consider yourself an spiritual person, or do you have any you know kind of philosophy or or anything that helps you guide in through life in you know difficult situations, anything like this? Well, I'm what's I'm a, a secular humanist, so I mean I'm I'm an atheist. Um, the uh, you know, but I think that that requires a higher level of morality by people than. Uh, you know, most of the religions, uh, you know, try and get people to do. Uh, I think we're all in it. We're all in it together. And I think we need to, you know, look past a, an awful lot of the divisions that we make uh, among people and basically, you know, see that, you know, humankind is all in this together and it's not a race to finish first. It's, it's, it's a race to bring across, you know, whoever's having the most trouble. Um, And, uh, you know, so that's sort of the way, you know, my, my overall morality is don't treat people as objects, uh, you know, treat them as people. And so that's, yeah. you know, I think relatively simple. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't have a belief structure behind it. So. Yeah. There's, there's this phrase that I love that says, uh, people are never a mean, people are always an end. So you, you can never, like, never treat any, anyone as a mean to get somewhere. People right. are always an end. They're always the, the final thing that matter more than, than anything else. And then that's, that's very, 
very different to, to teach and then and I don't know, you live in the United States, in the United States, it's all about like individual rights and sometimes more that's than in the collectivity. And then how how do you see, do you see this changing in any way in the United States? I well, I think, I mean, there's obviously there's there's political shifting around going on in the United States right now. And it's a very, very complicated description of what's going on because I think it yeah. has a lot. It has a lot more to do with power structures. Um, it is. Yeah. You know, we we have a. I'm um, not necessarily talking about Republicans or, or Democrats, but you know about the the people in general. Like, do you see people getting more connected? You know, to the the community and then seeing past. You know, this is my rights, and I don't care. And, or things like this, or, or no? Well, the thing is, it's it's connected and to to Republicans and Democrats, and the reason that it's connected is because we have a system here that, um, it, since it's not a if if we had a parliamentary system, there would be more compromising and discussion going on. Whereas it's mainly in the U.S. Depending on where you are at it, there are several different places of power in government and each of those is a winner takes all situation and so it's yeah. and, and so it makes sense if there's anything you want to get done in the united states you have to be in your your best bet is to pick one out of two political parties because the the third parties are not going to have any effect on that um That's and true. And what we are running into is that there is a changing demographic in the country, um, and it's probably mostly rural versus urban interests. Um, but you know, you're getting things that are being affected by everybody moving to one of these two political parties, and a winner takes all. I mean, owning guns, for example, is a liberal perspective it's you know if you allow individuals to own guns and not the government traditionally that's a left wing perspective of allowing individuals to own guns in the U in the united states though it's becoming seen as a right wing uh perspective and i think the reason for that is that in rural areas a lot of times you need a gun in urban areas you really don't almost any of the time and so it and so you know rural people are much more alive to the uses of a gun as a tool and people in cities are much more concerned about the use of a gun in a crime and it has affected the the theoretical understanding of the, the so the mm -hmm. practical politics have affected the theoretical understanding of the issue and and there there is so much of that going on in, in the united states right now is it's not a simple story there are a lot of gray areas in yeah, the united states is, is it's not enough. it's not black and white but it really does appear to be black and white anytime you just d jump on the internet and look but the reason it appears to be black and white is because we've only got two power centers in this country which are the two major political parties and you have to be in one or the other if you want to get something done so people are jumping into one and they're viewing it as a as a team and it's eliminating a lot of the nuance it's eliminating a lot of the gray area it's eliminating a lot of the compromise it's eliminating a lot of the discourse and so that's all yeah. happening at once so it's it's a really not something um that you know that uh that, that's 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 quickly described it's just not yeah. there is you know uh 
a comedian uh Noah I forgot uh he was uh from the Daily Show and then he talked about how he thinks that you know politicians should be shouldn't be allowed to you know in their program to just uh trash talk the other politician they would they should be about you know telling their propositions what they're about to do and the the job about you know telling who is lying or not should be from the press because uh we got to a point that uh it's a, a, almost like you know the opposing party is my enemy you have to eliminate them but then when those people get elected and you know we're living theoretically a democracy they have to you know govern they have to do the government together they have to work together but how they how do they work together if just just you know a couple of minutes ago they were almost saying you know they should kill each other or something like this mm -hmm. it, it becomes impractical and and then the the government doesn't work uh it's all about uh, us versus them and it's not about doing you know what the the people need you know sometimes you know i went to here in brazil i don't know how how that works in the united states where here in brazil sometimes you know you can schedule to watch uh the legislature work and you know the debates they have there or there is no debate like a guy just gets there and starts telling why they have this speech because they have to pretend they're debating something so he's like saying what he has to say but everybody out there that was supposed to be you know listening to you know to debate that they're they're like looking at their cell phones they're talking to each other they don't care they they all have their votes already arranged by their party so the debate is it's it's basically a performance they mm -hmm. they already know what's going to happen so it, it it's it's just like a, a sports a team us versus them and that's it they don't care really about the issues at all mm -hmm. and it's it's terrible <laughs> yeah uh I, i was gonna ask you know about if you ever had any you know experiences with uh states of uh uh awareness being you know, meditation or anything or even psychedelics uh but you said like you haven't experienced anything like this and, and you mentioned you know uh, no i've experienced psychedelics before oh yeah <laughs> it's just it's just well you know I, i wouldn't have described it as being you know again i wouldn't have described it as being supernatural you know like i said i think i think there are a lot of things out there that we don't understand but i think also that a, a lot of the way that we um organize our thinking about that is is also probably wrong you know in in, in terms of yeah. the super for me the supernatural is something that is no um, i mean just weird experience is not about being uh supernatural but i was asking like states of outer uh, awareness and i would like to you know ask uh how was it for you did any did this bring anything new to you did you uh learn how to see things in in a different way made any any impact uh on you the use of psychedelics not really i mean it was it was one time you know way way back in college and uh uh you know it was it, it tried lsd and it was a lot of fun um and and very different but i wouldn't really say that i learned very much from it yeah it, it's about setting setting too sometimes you you it can be just for fun but it, it can use it to explore something as well as, as like some people are exploring in research and stuff and i was curious about uh because some some people did really change uh I'm, i'm pretty sure some of the ideas i'm having for some of my games i wouldn't have have had if i haven't you know tried uh psychedelics uh, a couple of years ago 
dealing with anxiety and yeah. you know having panic attacks and and, and they're yeah they are fun too but it, they research compared them you know to deep meditation sometimes so i've i've managed to you know to process some stuff through through them and that's why sometimes i ask because i don't know yeah i mean in that in, in in that respect i'm i'm pretty boring really <laughs> yeah it's not about being boring like uh, you that's not something that you're seeking and you, you can you can have your experiences in different ways it's not it's it's just different experiences right yeah uh -huh. yeah uh do you what would you say is like the weirdest game you ever played whether they are uh rpgs or, or video games or board games or anything not necessarily the weirdest too because you have like to think oh what is the weirdest one but maybe uh something that you played recently uh, that really made an impact on you and, and then you remember something from it well actually you know playing uh rifts by palladium was uh you know probably one of the weirdest um you know, to, or, or it might have been back in college, we played a game of GURPS and everybody just individually sat down to make their character. And we ended up with a really weird group of, uh, <laughs> of characters. Um, I, you know, I like things where, uh, you know, fiction uh, overlaps with the game. Um, so, you know, any of the various, uh, uh, you know, implementations of um, Alice in Wonderland in D&D, &D, you know, going all the way back to Gary Gygax, you know, that that kind of thing, the, the, the fiction overlap with a game is always fun. I, I, have you been playing uh, RPG recently or have you been playing any any different game or anything? No, well, I mean, I usually stay, you know, I play Swords and Wizardry uh, and, and that's the game. I don't really try out new um, games. I've got a, a, a set of games that, that I play that I'm happy enough with that I don't really, you know, uh, try other experiences. Yeah. And those are, we don't have you know, much, much free time too. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. that's, you know, traveler, um, for science fiction, it's call of Cthulhu for, you know, mystery or, um, you know, Cthulhu type of stuff. And it's, you know, or, or, swords and wizardries or original dungeons and dragons, um, for fantasy. And I don't really go far beyond, you know, that those three games when I'm playing yeah. something. They already offer so much, so mm -hmm. so yeah. Do you, do you have you checked out the Mongoose Traveler? Or do you like play the 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 classic Traveler that you had? I play the before? I I play the classic, but I have looked at the Mongoose one, and it's it looks like it's pretty good. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm enjoying it because I don't have the classic one, so that's you know, uh, that's what I got, and I I do enjoy it, and I think they're like the new versions is getting you know. Um, better i think in some ways mm. they're presenting it in a easier way Matt, well i really you... i really like the third imperium setting too so you know the things that have that in there are nice as well which actually wasn't oh. in the very classic traveler but... sorry yeah i, I don't have but... i don't have much of the setting but yeah um, i'm gonna check that out what, what do you like about you know the third imperium can you tell a little bit about it for us well it's just it's just the uh the setting in which um you've got uh, an empire and the empire rules the um the empty space but not the planets um the planets mm -hmm. are all individually you know by whatever form of government they have um and then they're they're part of the imperium and they pay taxes to uh have the uh the imperial navy guard you know the spaceways from pirates and so on and so forth but you know it's uh um 
and it came from some books, um, I think Flandry or Landry, um, but they they were actually somebody had had written something which they which Mark Miller you know read and, and basically adapted um, to it. But those are good books too; they're fun. Yeah, well, it's it's sounds an interesting way to see you know the empire and, and and each planet being part of it and then a little bit less dystopian, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Matt, if you could uh, have any superpower and and you know from comics or, or fiction RPGs or whatever, and and what would what would you choose and what would be the first thing you would do with it? I'd fly and I'd fly. Any any particular place or just for the sensation of of flying? Just, just for the sensation of flying, I think it'd be great. Yeah, you probably couldn't does. get. You could probably couldn't get very far. You need to have goggles and protective stuff from the if to get up to a, a plane's airspeed. But uh, you know, I think yeah, being able well, to go up in the air would be really, really neat. Superheroes logic, like you, you'll fly, you you you'll be fine for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the physics don't apply while you're flying. So yeah, yeah, you that's, definitely that does sound good. It's, it's you don't want to go through a, you don't want to go through a sandstorm at 120 miles an hour. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sensation must 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 be great. Like feeling the wind, you know. I I love like breeze, like going to to a forest or, or like in the mountains and just feeling like the air blowing and being able to like to to fly and and and, and go to places right too. Like like mm -hmm. yeah, I can go to Jenkon because I don't have. To yeah, that, that would be a, a use. You know, yeah. you want to keep your airspeed airspeed down to about forty miles an hour, but you can get pretty far at forty miles an hour. So you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And bring, and if you bring. could get and anything you know from from the from the fiction from from the fantasy from the games any any weird thing and would you make it real in our world what would you choose and why and this can be you know a faction a location uh, an entity or or just a force like like the force from Star Wars anything like this uh, what would you choose to make it real? Oh, what would I choose to make real? Um... Faster than light travel. And and why? Because then we could, you know, get to some of these uh, exoplanets that we're discovering recently, and hopefully some of those would support life, and you know, get get to several different planets, and so, ensure the survival of our species as yeah. as we are destroying this place. Yeah, well, that's do, do you think about this? Does, do you think about this? Uh, about how maybe the only chance we have is maybe get out of the here someplace or or no? I, it doesn't. I it doesn't <laughs> occupy my mind a whole lot. I think there are, there are probably multiple solutions to it. You know, if the countries are able to work together, but um, you know, hopefully technology will be able to you know come up with fixes for it in the time window that we have uh we'll see what, what is your favorite way of person than 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 light travel from from the fiction jump drive <laughs> the the traveler jump drive where you spend a week in transit regardless and then and so you have to carry news uh from one planet to another and there's always an information lag i always thought that was i mean they did that just so that it would match up with the way that ships you know, worked on the sea, but I think it, it's a, it's a really, really neat, uh, 
you know, sort of fictional universe. Yeah, and 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 and, and one thing I always think about, you know, science fiction today is because we have all this, you know, wireless and Wi-Fi, and you think everything is connected all the time. But you know, in space, in sci-fi, like you, how do you transmit, you know, some of this stuff to to vacuum and have interference, electromagnetic forces, and not necessarily. Like you can communicate with everyone everywhere, right? So, yeah, it's it, and having this delay on 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 travel, even in sci-fi, feels very much like you know adventures in like the fantasy medieval uh, settings that we like that they have to travel to bring news and to to hear stuff. And, and well, anything anything that has to do with adventure, you have to be separated from the support structure of the regular world. So you know, what, no, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I mean, you you can't you know, cell phones unless there's something about you know the horror or the adventure that's affecting your cell phones. I mean, what makes it adventure is that you are on your own with a small number of people, um, yeah. and not able to rely on somebody else to rescue you or fix the problem that you've discovered, uh, or you know, handle the situation. It, you know, that's what makes it adventure. So. I think you yeah. touched on the root of part of the yeah. the, 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 the. Do you game think it's harder right there. to make adventures in, in like in, in settings of modern world today? Like like uh, Cthulhu, for example, they usually always set in the past and areas that we don't have access to. All the tools, like the the, the digital tools that we have today, do you think it's harder to make things work in, in today's? setting yeah i think so i think you know anything that um has you know good connectivity is harder to turn into an adventurous story and that even if you can it's probably only a one-off adventure setting not something that you could do again and again and again and again yeah, in some ways like i was thinking now I, I, adventures are always isolated some places like even like we see uh, adventure movies setting in, in in today's times, they always separated from from the outside for some reason. Be uh, it's really late at night and no one is awakened, or like they are underground, or they're like in this abandoned abandoned place that no one will hear them scream in some ways. So uh, yeah, and I, I, now that you mentioned, I never thought about adventuring being about about being separated from this world and nobody can understand what they're like going through and they come back with all this these things and, and sometimes no one cares no one saw that and right or in the yeah. stories you come back changed in some way yeah people you change but do or don't yeah. notice it so yeah you change like you, you leave it through that but through through the rest of the world that's that's like they didn't saw it didn't happen and, and it doesn't matter in some way and mm -hmm. and maybe for 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 the real world that might not be so bad like uh, even though they have all this internet nobody believes them so they won't have that much information about this mm -hmm. mystery stuff anyway so mm -hmm. yeah uh, matt uh finally the final question is do you remember the last time you felt really happy and you know just grateful for being here and being alive and if you do can you share with us uh, when was that and, and and how it was for you? Oh, it was yesterday because we, I mean, we moved back to 
uh, the Houston area to help look after my parents because they're starting to get, you know, older at this point and just, you know, hanging out with them uh, and, and with my fiance, Susie, you know, all in one place, we went out to a Chinese restaurant. We were all sitting there and, uh, you know, everyone was, uh, you know, talking back and forth and in a good mood. And I sort of sat back and thought, wow, this is very nice. It's just a happy moment. So yesterday, yeah, and then and it's very important to to notice those things because uh, sometimes we go through those moments and we're just you know with our heads uh, thinking about the game we're designing, for example, and, and, and I'm really trying to to see those moments a lot more. And yeah, thanks for for sharing with us and just uh, remind us that just those simple moments of us sitting at the table and and sharing a meal with the people that we love can be you know something magical in a way, right? Yeah. yeah. And Matt, you know, do you have any final message for the riddles out there that might be listened to us? Uh, yeah, hang in there and keep being weird. Yeah, and then keep it being weird, keep doing the stuff that you do, explore it. You add the meaning to the world by being weird. Without weird, there's no meaning. So that is a very, it's a very important job to go out and keep being weird. Yeah, it's very important job weirdos. Keep doing, keep being you, right? So, Matt, can you can you take us out just saying the catchphrase of the show of the show, which is, keep it weird, everybody. Keep it weird, everybody. Thank you for listening to Weird Games and Weirder People. If you'd like to keep up with the show, please subscribe to be notified when we release new episodes. If you'd like to support us, please leave a review or head on to code-fi.com slash WGNWP. See you next time and remember, weird is the new wonderful.